where this is the last of four, we wanted to do just four messages uh, going into the first of the year with, from the theme, All Things New, and just kind of uh, hone in on some things that we believe would be good for us to just bring into the focus uh, of our life starting out the, the, the new year. And it, the big idea was real simple. As you commit yourself entirely to God, that you will see God bring his best design uh, out of you. One verse that was kind of uh, part of the foundation of it, and I'll read it out of the message today. It says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to his level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That's, that's the foundation of it. And it's a good verse. It's a good verse to, to meditate upon. We, we, get, we don't want to get so well adjusted to what's going on in the culture. We want to allow God to change us from the inside out and get our hearts and minds fixed on him. We want to learn how to think properly, think right, think biblically, think the way of God. We want to align our pursuits with what God is asking us to do and learn how to rely on him. And it it, it required us, and hopefully you've already got there. We're coming toward the end of our fast, which has been pretty amazing, actually. We'll be sharing a little bit more about that tonight. Uh, but but this is this has been a good time to get to get reset to get refocused to just kind of walk through or or, or, or look back on what uh, happened in 2018 and just get reset on God's plan for for 2019. For some of us, that's just renewal, refocus, reset. For some of you, it's what we call in the Christian church and what the Bible calls being born again. It's becoming a new person altogether allowing the Lord to become the Lord of your life and your Savior, Lord and Savior. And the passage of this promise is 2 Corinthians 5, and it says this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Old life is gone. New life has begun. Christ comes in you and makes you new. It's an amazing thing when, when that happens, actually, because what, what takes place is when we surrender our life to the Lord and, and make that determination. You heard some amazing testimonies during the baptism of the Novaks. When, when, when you do that, immediately the Spirit of God comes into your life makes you a new creature, forgives you for all of your sins, all of the sins that you've committed. They've, they've been washed away. You affirm that through the waters uh, of baptism. Uh, but there's also something else that comes. There's a, it's a two-way movement. On the one hand, the spirit of God comes in us and makes us new. But that same spirit also ushers us into, or as the scripture says, baptizes us into the body of Christ. So on the one hand, the spirit of God comes in and makes us new. At the same time, the spirit of God baptizes us into the body of Christ. We become part of the family. We have a new family. First Corinthians says it like this, for we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether we're Jews, Uh, or Greeks, or whether we were slaves, or whether we were free. I guess you could also say whether you were black, or whether you were brown, or whether you were white, or whether you were yellow, whether you were poor, or whether you were rich. We were all given the one spirit to drink. We all become part of one 
family. Look at your neighbor and say, we're family now. We're family now. If you don't mind, would you put that picture of my family up on the, on the screen? I want to, uh, this, this, is, this, is, this is the family that I now have. And uh, it, it's a bunch of them. And it, yeah, and they, some, we try to get together often and they all uh, come to the house together. And then I realize how many of them it really is when we all, uh, we all get together. We come from different backgrounds, obviously, and, and uh, different lineages and different heritages. And, and actually, it's a miracle that everybody was here at the same time and looking at the camera uh, at the same time. But, but this, this is my family. Now, he, here, here's the issue. There's only, two, there's only two people that are responsible for this happening. That's me and Virginia. Nobody else is responsible for that. Me and Virginia. But when me and Virginia decided that we were committing our life together to become one, they all became part of the family. They all became part of the family. It's a new family portrait. They all became part of it. Now, listen, we can't force them to have good relationships. We can't even force them to become friends. They do a great job of that, by the way, and I, and I love it when I see it. But here's what they all realize. We're all one family now. It's a new family. It's a new family portrait. That's what I want to talk about today, if you, if you will stay with me for a little bit. And I want you to turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. I want to talk about the family portrait. Acts chapter 2. And I want to look at some verses. I believe uh, Pastor Ty read the first few of those or the last few, and I want to read a few, few more. Verse, 40, uh, verse 42 through 47 of Acts. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I think many of you would, would agree with me that one of the most uncomfortable places uh, at times is an elevator. One of the most uncomfortable places. And, and you, you've done it. We, we, we all do it. When we, when we get into the, to an elevator, and especially when it's crowded and there's folks all in it, we get in with, with such a... Um, um, such a manner that we don't want to touch anybody, right? And as a matter of fact, we, we, we don't usually even look at anybody. We'll, we'll, we'll look down, we'll make sure that we're in the elevator where we're not touching the people around us, and, and we'll turn around and we'll just look up, looking at the thing going up. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We just look at the elevator. We don't even look at anybody. We don't touch anybody. Most of the time, don't say anything to anybody. We just get in the elevator because it's uncomfortable. And also, you probably notice a lot of times, even people that are talking when the elevator door opens, once they get in the elevator, they stop talking. They don't say anything. They just, they just come on in, turn and wait for the elevator to go up. Uh, recently on one of my most recent trips, this elevator was jam-packed already. 
And, uh, and so we're, we're in there like, like sardines, you know, everybody doing the silent treatment. And the elevator door opened, and just pretend you're the elevator. When the elevator door opened, I'm close to the front. There was three fellas who looked like they had been really having a good time. They were laughing. They were talking. When the door opened, they're still laughing and talking. Elevator's jam-packed, and everybody's looking at them like, you are not going to try to get in here, right? I mean, that's the look that they got from everybody. But it didn't seem to bother them one bit. They, they looked into the elevator. They said, oh, it looks like it's kind of crowded and stepped on in the elevator. So everybody's moving up. But when they got in, so you're the, you're, you're the folks in the elevator. They come into the doors. When they got in, they couldn't turn around. It was too tight. So one of the guys, and I thought, I want to hang out with this guy. One of the guys looks at the crowd. Everybody's tight. Everybody's kind of like, no, don't, you really did this. You really did this. And he says, you're probably all wondering why we call this meeting together. And everybody bust up laughing and started talking to each other and relating to each other after that. And and I thought, it's good when we can find a reason to want to relate to each other. And, and we, we see this cause, this manner in which God brought, it, brought us together so that we would all have a reason to relate. Let me talk to you a little bit about this passage that we read in uh, Acts chapter 2. This, this narrative is what's, on, what, what's called the day of Pentecost. Pentecost comes uh, 50 days after uh, the Passover. And uh, we recognize Pentecost. Some of you thought Pentecost was just, you know, like Pentecostals, you know, folks who just, you know, jump over rafters and, and uh, benches and make a lot of noise. You didn't really know that there was a day of Pentecost. You thought your folks just came up calling people Pentecostals because, of, you know, they get to, you know how they do they in church service and get them moving and shaking. And next thing you know, clear the road, folks, because here they come. No, there's really a day called Pentecost. There's a day called Pentecost, and they're gathered together on this day because 40 days after Jesus was on the earth for 40 days after he rose. And they knew he was going to ascend, or at least they got the idea that he was going to ascend. And he gathers with them on that 40th day, and he lets them know it's time for me to go. But he says, I want you to go way down in, in Jerusalem. And when you get there, he says, I want you just to pray. He said, there's going to be power that comes from up on high. The presence of the almighty God is going to come upon all of you that are gathered there. And you're going to begin to do the things that I've called you and anointed you to do. And I want you to go out. I want you to go to the various places around the world. And I want you to proclaim the gospel. Ten days after this, they're there in that upper room. They had been in there ten days. Kind of similar to what we're doing in our uh, time of fasting. They're just praying. They're just seeking God. And something mighty phenomenal happened. Actually, it's, it's actually supernatural. On that 10th day while they're there, which was the day of Pentecost, the 50th day, Pente, sorry. Pente means 50th. On that 50th day, they see some phenomenal stuff in the room. They see what looks like cloven tongues of fire. They all can visualize that. In the, in the room, they see tongues of fire coming down. In the room, they hear the winds blowing through the room. Even though they're in a closed room, they hear the wind. They see these tongues of fire coming down. And those in the room start to supernaturally speak in another language, speaking unknown tongues. The Greek word is glalasia. Mm, mm, mm. 
I think I'm going to speak in an unknown tongue and I'll get this out better. But, but out comes this unknown language that they, they did not know. Miraculous words coming out of their mouth. What we know and call speaking in, in other tongues. Here's the thing that was happening. There was a whole bunch of folks in Jerusalem because that's the end of the Feast of Weeks. Pentecost marks the end of the Feast of Weeks where they celebrate the harvest that God has given them. So folks from every region come together, even if they don't live in Jerusalem anymore. All the regions of the known Roman world, they all come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Weeks or to celebrate Pentecost. So there's thousands upon thousands of people in Jerusalem who don't normally live there, but yet they're Jewish folks. They come from all regions. They have all different tongues and all different languages. This particular day, they hear these 120 speaking in their language from their region that these 120 people had never, ever learned. And they're proclaiming the word of God. They're proclaiming the word of God in a language that they never, ever learned. From that day on, we have marked that as the birth of the New Testament church. That was when Christ came down, filled his people with his spirit. And from that day on, we all have been experiencing the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the fellowship of the saints, the community coming together, being baptized by God's spirit and enjoying and loving one another as a family. Can you say amen? And here's what happened with those 120 people. They declare the word of God. And on that day, 3,000 people hear the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter stands up and preaches because they thought they were drunk. And he says, no, we're not drunk. This is the power of God. And he declares who Jesus is and what Jesus had done. And Jesus had died for their sins. And Jesus had rose from the dead. And it's this very Jesus that we're now experiencing by the power of the Spirit. And these, these supernatural things that you're seeing and hearing is because Christ has come down to earth and moving and working in people just like us. 3,000 people heard that message and believed it. 3,000 people, and they responded. You know, around here, we talk about next steps. You hear it probably every week. You see it when you go out. Let me tell you something. CTC didn't create next steps. Acts chapter 2 is where we got, the, where we got next steps. Because this is what's happened. Those 3,000 people heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ being proclaimed through tongues and messages. And guess what those 3,000 people did? Those 3,000 people got baptized. Why? Because that's the next Yes, we didn't create next steps. The Bible did. And so when you hear the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ and commit your life to the Lord, then the next step is to get baptized. So they got baptized, but they didn't stop there because we don't stop there. We also got some more things to next step. The next step after baptism is to get into a small group where you can learn and grow. We didn't create that. That's in Acts chapter two. They went from house to house. Actually, they gathered in the temple. Maybe I should tell you this. Do you know we didn't create church? That was in the Bible too. That's why we come here week after week to worship and to sing and to proclaim the glorious message of the Lord. We gather week after week here on Sundays. We get into small groups in some manner week after week and learn and grow and share and have community and have fellowship and love one another and help one another 
and support one another and pray for one another and comfort one another and help each other with needs. We do that. Why? Because that's what the church does. That's what you do now. You're in a family. You're in a family. And so we do what the family does. And there were some amazing things that happened after they did that. The scripture says that the praise and, and the sincerity of the people to their God was so common, commonly known among the community that pe- they started finding favor even from unbelievers. People that weren't, that weren't even believers wanted to know what they had. What do you guys got going on? And that last verse we read at the end of Acts says that the Lord started adding to the church. People were getting saved every single day. Why? Because they saw the glory of this new family portrait. They saw the awesome stuff that God was doing. And listen, that's not just for the church in Acts 2. That's not just for the church in Jerusalem. That's for CTC. Also, God has given us an opportunity. He's made us a family by the Spirit. And good relationships that we can cultivate. And I'll talk a little bit about that. Relationships that can be spilled out into the streets. That people all over our region will say, what is going on in these people's life? What is happening down at that church? What's going on in that home when they see people's homes being completely transformed? I love a verse that Paul talked about in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. He's talking to the Thessalonians. Um, yeah, um, shoot, the people who lived in Thessaloniki. Yes, thank you. He said this. He said, we felt so strongly about you that we were determined to share with you not only the good news of God, listen to this, but also our lives. That's how dear you were to us. That's how dear we become to one another in a family. We don't take relationships lightly. And, and many of us are learning if you're going to survive in this world that can be cold and, and cruel, relationships have meaning and they're important. And, and, and when you're part of this family, by the grace of God, when you're in the body of Christ, there's some things we do that makes this worthwhile. Now, let me just start with this. Uh, just in case you're, 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 you're still at a place where you haven't, you haven't come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna say this to you. Just keep seeking a relationship with God. Just keep seeking it. Just keep seeking it. Of course, we want you to come to Jesus right now. But listen, I know for a whole lot of folks, it's, it's, it's a journey. I, I love reading some of the things like of Lee Strobel, who was a journalist who, who, who tried, to, tried to tell his wife that she had made a big mistake by following just, just Jesus. And as a journalist, he'd done all kind of research and study to prove to her that this was the wrong thing to do. And he ended up coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We know that this is, is a journey for many people, but you keep seeking the Lord. And let me tell you what the scripture says about that. It's Acts chapter 17. It says this. The God who made the world, and I don't want you to miss this, the God who made the world and everything in it, this is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he gives himself everyone life and breath, yeah, he gives himself life and breath to everyone. From one man, he's made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. So he said, our God is the one that he created everything. 
He's not a God that needs to be served by human hands. He's given us life. He's given us breath. As a matter of fact, he gives life and breath over everything. He's the one to determine where people live, the boundaries of nations, etc. Listen, he did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him. Though he's not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. He's not far. He's not far. And God has specifically set you up. You know, some folks might wonder, I heard a little bit in one of the testimonies, some folks might wonder, why in the world did God move me to Yuma, Arizona? It might be to find God. He determines where, where, he, where he sends you and where he puts you so that you may find him. So I'm going to encourage you first to seek God. But here's, here's the other thing I want you to do. Since you're in the family, develop a relationship with the church. Listen to what Ephesians 2.19 says. You are members of God's very own family. And you belong in God's household with every other Christian. We're all part of the family. We all belong to God's household. And we want to develop those relationships, cultivate those relationships because they work out in the end to bring us all closer and closer to the victory we need here on earth. I remember reading a story. It's, it was a long time ago. Some of you might know the name Bear Bryant. He's a coach of, of, of Alabama. And then... Uh, Another guy was Gene Stallings. Gene Stallings used to be the assistant for Bear Bryant when he was uh, at Alabama. Gene Stallings was a committed Christian. And what he did uh, there at Alabama, he, they introduced fellowship of Christian athletes. And Gene Stallings, being a Christian man, though he was the assistant coach, he decided to go to those fellowship of Christian athlete meetings. And, uh, and also while he was there, uh, in, you know, uh, cultivated a relationship with, with a lot of the players that was on his team that he was coaching, they were going to the fellowship and Christian athletes meetings. So that gave him some time to cultivate some better relationships with them. And they became a tight unit of people that next year, Gene Stallings got hired to be the coach at Texas A&M. And so when he went to Texas A&M, when they were in preseason or spring, uh, sorry, summer camps, Bear Bryant was absolutely frustrated at what he was seeing uh, with the players uh, because they were, showing, they were showing real love to each other. When, when they would hit somebody, they would pick them up. And, and uh, you know, when somebody would do a good thing on them, they would say, man, good hit or, or good job. And so Bear Bryant calls Gene Stallings and he says, man, I got to tell you something. The worst thing you could have done to this team is introduce these folks to fellowship with Christian athletes. He said, these folks running around here hugging each other, they actually love each other. They don't even want to hardly hit nobody. They just so in love with each other. He says, the worst thing you could do. As the season got progressed, Alabama got better and better and better till eventually Alabama uh, by the way, uh, Gene Stallings writes, after Bear Bryant said that to him, he hung the phone up. They got better and better. Alabama won the national championship. You know, one of the first calls he made after he won the national championship was Gene Stallings. And he said, man, I got to tell you, the best thing that ever happened to this team was fellowship of Christian athletes. We become such a family and we just love each other. You know the same thing that happened with Gene Stallings and the same thing that happened with Alabama and the same thing would happen with the family of Tyrone and V. Jones. The same thing that's happening in CTC is the same thing that can happen to you. You become a loving family where you just grow in love and glorify 
God. And we need that. I want to show you. Uh, actually, let me read these things first. I, I love these. Tisha sends out some great uh, emails. I think they mostly go to their CLG leaders. But I love these kind of testimonies. One young lady uh, wrote that she shared the first week she came to CTC. She was greeted with welcome home three times before she ever got to her seat. It confirmed to her that she was really home and she'd been bringing friends to church almost on a regular basis. Can we say amen to that? Another young lady who grew up here, uh, grew up in our church and then moved away after several years. When she moved back, she was nervous to come back and to CTC feeling a little fear of being out of place and maybe reprimanded for not going to church as much. And she said when she walked in the door, she was greeted with open arms and she knew she was at a place that she belonged. Come on, can we say amen? Got another young lady that was, in, that was invited and she said that she had grown up in church and had visited several different churches, but never experienced anything that like she experienced at CTC. She said she never felt so genuinely received and welcomed by a church. She knows she belongs here. That's what church is all about, building and cultivating some authentic relationships. And this is what Hebrews 10.25 says. It says, let us not give up meeting together, some in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. That's what we do when we come together in our small group settings or in this larger setting is encourage one another. And so let me me say this and I'll get ready to wrap it up. To to continue in this this process that God has gotten you in in the family, you should prioritize some good relationship with friends in the church. Good relationship with friends in your small group. Prioritize some good good relationships. Listen, listen, I know this, and Tyrone shared about this extremely well on the uh, last week of the year uh, about friends and, and dealing with the Holy Spirit. Let, 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 me, let me tell you what, what Proverbs says. Proverbs 12, 26 says, a righteous man is cautious in friendships. A righteous man is cautious in friendships. You want to have friends that's going to help you along the way. Friends that's going to help you in the journey. Friends that's going to encourage you and, and be part of the faith process. Even if they're not believers yet, they're not against you. Going, to, going for the things of God and talking about God and sharing with them about the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends can help you grow in the journey. Am I talking to the right church? And you want to be around folks who understand your journey and understand your process. Proverbs 27, 19 says this, a mirror reflects a man's face, but what he really is like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. That's what he's really like. So you want to develop some good friendships, authentic relationships, people that will let you go deep in their life and people that you'll go deep with, that you can find that place where God really wants to minister to your heart. Because listen, we get this, all of us are some broken people, some jacked up folks that need the love of Jesus. And it's friends sometimes that helps that love of Jesus. Listen, I know this about Tyrone Jones. There's cracks in my life and there's actually doors. There's closets that can be in my heart where I'll let certain things come to a certain manner. But then there's a door that just might shut it. Or there may be a crack where I just, nope, I want to cover it up. But you know what friends do? Friends get in there and start pulling them doors open. They'll start pulling them doors open. Or friends will go in there and take some cutty putty and cover up that crack. They'll cover up that crack because they love you and they want to see you be better. One of the most amazing things that happens here is in our small groups and our settings is people sit together and they come together in circles and they come together in rows. There's a couple of pictures I want you to show and I'll, I'll bring this to a home. This is, this is a small group at my, that was at my house this Friday night, the men's, men's CLG. Friday night is the date night for V&I, so we don't, we don't, I'm not always at the men's Bible study, but 
I knew there was going to be a bunch of ladies here. So I told Wayne, you know, I, I, I don't have no date tonight. Won't y'all be my date? And so there's a bunch of fellas that came over. And, and you notice how everybody's in circle. I think it was about 20, 20 of us. You know, the only part about this picture that messed me up is it's my house and I'm the one on the floor. I, I don't know how that happened. But, but, uh, but, 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 but can I tell you something? There's some fellas in, those, in this picture that I knew before they came to the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, before they came to Jesus, they'd have never walked into my house. But because I know the transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're welcome anytime they want to come because of what Jesus can do. There's some pictures of the women's event, which I heard was just off the hook. Women in, women in circles praying for one another. A group of ladies that gather together to hear the word and to, and to love up on, on, on each other. Crying and praying. That's, that's, that's circles. That's life. That's relationship. That's what Christ does. And, and you know, you also learn when you, a lot of these friends that we have in the church are relationships that we initiated. They're not people that we knew necessarily, but those relationships was initiated. And, and you never know who you initiate in a relationship with, who they might become or what God may use them to do. I, I'll, I probably told you already three times I'm going to close, but I'm really going to close after this. I just thought of another story. You know, there's a, there's a fellow in the Bible by the name of Saul. Saul was a bad dude. Uh, he, would, he was a really strict Jew, come out of the family of Benjamin. He stuck to the law. As a matter of fact, he boasted about being a Pharisee among Pharisees, keeping the law as best as he could to perfection. When Jesus comes along, he, made the, he, he comes to the conclusion, like a whole lot of the Sanhedrin and Pharisees, that Jesus was an imposter. And he wasn't, he wasn't going to buy into that. He's not the Messiah. So, of course, Jesus was crucified, which he was thrilled about. But then, as we just talked about on the day of Pentecost, the, the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes people in the Holy Spirit, and the church is beginning to spread all over the region. Saul was given authority by the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees to go around and persecute and even kill people who named themselves after the name of Jesus. They called it the way. Anybody that's going after the way, talking about the way of Christ, you got all authority to lock them up, kill them, do whatever you got to do. So Saul was on a mission to do that and was successful. He stood there and witnessed the great man Stephen being stoned to death. When Stephen saw a vision and knew that he was in the place that God wanted him to be to share the gospel, even unto death. Saul was on his way to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. He was on his way to a whole bunch of group of, a group of Christians that was gathered there. And he had all authority to do whatever he needed to do to, to shut the mouths of those Christians, lock them up, kill them if he needed to. On his way, there's this bright light that comes down from heaven. And a voice that comes out. When he saw the bright light and hears the voice, the scripture says it knocked him off his beast. He fell to the ground. Those around him could hear the voice but couldn't make out the words. Those around him did not know why he actually fell off, fell off the beast. And when he gets on the ground, he, he hears the voice that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? That's the voice from heaven. Saul recognizing that that's the Lord talking to him. He says, Saul, he said, Lord, who are you? And, and the voice says, I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. Saul immediately recognized 
that there is a Christ, there is a Lord, and he is the risen Savior. But he says this, the voice from heaven says this, you keep on going. Let them take you on to Damascus, and there's going to be somebody there waiting for you. Somebody there waiting for you in Damascus. So a blind, he was blind. They had to put him on his beast. Scales grew over his eyes. He was blinded by the light. He goes to Damascus. He's at a place on a street called Straight. There's a prophet there by the name of Ananias who's actually protecting the Christians, understanding that Saul was coming. The same voice that talked to Saul talked to Ananias, and he says, Ananias, Saul is waiting at a, at a place on the street called Straight. I want you to go there, and I want you to meet with him. Ananias says, come on, Lord. You can read it in Acts 9. He says, come on. I know what this man has done. You know what this man has done. This man is a persecutor of Christians. He's doing everything he can to get rid of us. Why would I go meet this man? He doesn't want to have anything to do with us. And the voice from heaven says this. He says, he's a chosen vessel of mine to open up the eyes of Gentiles, to help people that are in darkness come into light. He's a chosen vessel. He says, you go down there and when you lay hands on him, he's going to be filled with the spirit of God and his eyes will come open. Now, I told you all that to tell you what what Ananias said when he got there. Because remember, Saul was an enemy. Saul was one that was against the church. Ananias didn't want to have anything to do with him. But you read Acts chapter 9. When when Ananias gets to where Saul is, he walks into the room. Saul is still blind. He lays hands on him and catches this out. He says, brother Saul. Why brother? Because he's in the family now. He's in the family portrait. Yeah, he might have been a scoundrel. He might have been an enemy. He might have been a nasty booger. But he's in the family now. And if he's in the family, he's a brother. He's a sister. We love them. We care for them. And we don't know what God is going to use them to do. I'm so glad I'm in the family of God. This is my family portrait. This is my brothers and sisters. This is who I do life with. We're 